Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about neck and back pain in horses. But before we get started, I want to let you know that we at The Horse are having a special offer for Ask the Horse Live listeners. You can subscribe to our print magazine and get 75% off the cover price at thehorse.com slash askthehorseoffer. Again, that's thehorse.com slash askthehorseoffer. That's just $15 for a one-year subscription. You'll get vetted and accurate horse health care information each month of the year. Now, back to neck and back pain. We horse owners pay a lot of attention to our horse's legs. Is my horse limping? Does he feel stiff? Uh, do I feel some heat in his leg? But considering riding horses carry us on their backs, are we paying enough attention to their spinal health and soundness? To answer your neck and back related questions, we're joined tonight by Dr. Kevin Hausler of Colorado State University's College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences Orthopedic Research Center. Dr. Hausler has a specialty interest in equine sports medicine, spinal and pelvic related disorders, acupuncture, chiropractics, and physical therapy. Welcome, Dr. Hausler. Thank you very much, Michelle. Glad to be here. Dr. Hausler, can you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in the horse's neck and back and your research into this area? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, when I got out of veterinary school, I was just looking for more knowledge or more information about horses. And um, I looked into human chiropractic school, into acupuncture school and actual physical therapy schools and um, kind of settled on going to human chiropractic school. And then from there, I just began my career looking at neck and back problems in horses. Well, for everyone who's listening, I want to give a quick review of our Ask the Horse live format. We're going to be starting with the questions that people submitted during registration. If you have a question that you'd like to ask live or would like clarification on one of the doctor's responses, you can enter that in the chat window in front of you if you have joined us through your computer. We're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, first, uh, Dr. Hausler, before we dive into the questions, can you give us a basic overview of the horse's neck and back anatomy and so that just as a reference point as we go through our discussion tonight? Sure, yeah. Um, well, as far as just from an anatomical perspective, um, the skeleton is made up of different bones and in the horse's neck there's seven different vertebrae and then in the back there's um, 18 different thoracic vertebrae and um, I think one interesting thing that most of people don't think about is when we ride horses, we don't really ride on their vertebrae or their back per se. We actually are sitting right on their ribs. And so, and also then when we pack or girth up our horses or cinch up our horses, we're also tightening up around the ribs. So I think the ribs play an important part um, as far as looking at back issues and that's something we need to pay more attention to, I think. And then on top of all that, you know, like you said, as far as with the legs, we can see things pretty readily. Unfortunately, in the neck and the back, we oftentimes have four or five or six inches of muscle that cover that. And so it kind of makes some of our um, ability to really see some of the problems with the horses um, kind of difficult because sometimes it's kind of like a black box. You have vertebrae that are deep underneath the muscles, um, and sometimes we're don't have a really good understanding of some of the anatomy or some of the problems with that. So those are the challenges with that. And then we also then have ligaments and, and um, tendons that help join those together. The nuchal ligament would be one important one in the neck area. Then we have, you know, through the back and then sacroiliac ligaments, you know, some horses have issues in the back with those. So those are kind of the general structural things. And then obviously we have nerves going out and sensing back pain or neck pain and things along those lines. In the neck, sometimes we can get spinal cord compression that would cause problems, you know, like wobblers disease and things like that. So, so it's kind of a basic overview um, of anatomy, I guess, related to that. Okay. And our first question is from Anne in New York, and her question is about imaging the back. She wants to know if you can um, find or identify arthritis in the back using regular x-rays. Yeah, well, I think that that's a challenge um, just because, as we said, kind of the size of the horse. In the neck region, we can usually get pretty good x-rays. 
Um, most practitioners can get pretty good x-rays with equipment that they have there, um, and we can find arthritis if it's there. Um, in the back, as far as in the wither region um, or in the low back, oftentimes we're very limited, especially if we have some of the big warm bloods, um, or just our equipment is not big enough or powerful enough to get really good images of that area because the horses are so big. So um, I think that because of that, we've kind of moved on and added ultrasound to that. I think ultrasound has helped us a lot to identify arthritis or some of the other injuries in the horse's neck in the back region. Uh, Linnea in Florida wants to know if there's a simple test that we, as the horse owners with no medical training, can do to see if our horse's back or necks are hurting. Yeah, I think that that's a challenging thing for some um, people or some practitioners in general. Um, I think the biggest thing that I use is just palpation and seeing how the horse responds to a simple touch. Um, and then also what I'm looking for is muscle tightness. And so simply just running my hand down the horse's back and seeing if they um, don't step away from me or kind of you know arch away from me um, with the pressure that I'm applying with my hand or with my fingers, um, that's usually a good test that way. Um, if there was uh, acute injury, then I'd be checking for any um, obvious muscle spasms or heat or swelling that way. But most of the time, the horses I'm looking at are mostly stiff. And to be able to check to see if your horse is stiff, um, what we rely on is a lot related to carrot stretches. Can they stretch their neck to one side or stretch their um, neck to the other side and just check for flexibility? And so those are kind of some of the tests as far as just palpation, um, checking for muscle tone and checking for spinal mobility. So you mentioned identifying muscles that are in spasm. Is that something that yeah. we as the horse owner can feel or tell? Is it just a big knot or is there movement in that muscle? What what would that be like uh, under your yeah, hand? I think, yeah, I think um, uh, I try to, with all the owners that I'm looking at their horses, if there's something that jumps out at me like that, then I really try to teach the owners or show the owners that because to me, the owners of the trainers are the people that are there all the time with their horses. And if we can catch uh, maybe a back injury or a muscle spasm that's starting and get uh, treatment earlier, then that's going to be much better than waiting longer. So I think most of the time what you're feeling for is just kind of a nice supple motion where there gives a little bit of um, give to that muscle, just like it would be like on your arm or your leg. Um, if you feel your muscles in those areas, there's a nice kind of cushion to that. But if you tense your muscles up, then the muscle gets pretty hard. And um, that would be a sign that those horses are having more tension in those areas. Elaine in Virginia wants to know if a horse with suspected neck or back pain should be ridden under saddle as part of the veterinary diagnostic exam. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it just depends on how severe the neck or the back pain is. Um, let's just talk about neck injuries there or neck pain. Um, some of these horses, if they do have injury in their neck, um, they'd be pretty resistant to having um, rain tension or movement that way. Um, or a horse with wobblers disease that might have some spinal cord compression might not be safe at all to ride. So kind of depends that way um, as far as the severity of that. For back pain in general, um, some of the issues that we see related to that may be pretty subtle. And so one example would be as if we have a horse, they lunge just fine, but as soon as the rider gets on the back, then they start bucking. And if we never put a rider on their back as far as part of our evaluation, then we would never know that that really was the problem unless the owner shared that with us. So to me, the ridden exercise is really an important part and it also shows me um, how the horse responds to the rider's aids. We often talk about back problems. Um, we oftentimes um, include in that saddle fit, and we also include how the rider is as far as being centered and their skill level and the aids that they have to do with that. And so to me, it's kind of three different parts of the puzzle. And if I'm not looking at the horse with the saddle on or with the rider on, then I'm kind of missing two parts of the puzzle to really kind of help me really identify or assess how that horse is dealing with their neck or their back problems. 
So as a vet, how do you evaluate saddle fit and what are some obvious signs that the saddle is causing the horse's problems? Yeah, well, saddle fit um, can sometimes be a challenge. Um, it depends on if you're dealing with more English saddles or more Western saddles. Um, but in general, my analogy that I use is that the saddle is like a shoe and the pads that you're applying would be like the socks that you're putting on the horse's back or the foot. And it, what I usually do for the first time that I look at the horses, I um, put the saddle on the back without any pads. And then what I'm looking for is clearance up around the tree and also clearance over the shoulder blades um, to make sure that there's nice fit there. I would also slide my hand up underneath the seat to, in the seat region to make sure that there's not bridging, that there's nice uniform contact with the panels um, all along the horse's back because that's the function of the saddle is to spread your weight over as big an area on the horse's back as possible so there's not any peak pressures. But then I would rock the saddle back and forth and side to side and see how stable it is on the horse's back. But I think the most common thing that we see most of the time is that the trees may be too narrow or sitting down on top of the withers too tight in the front and then with the added weight on there, then we can cause some back pain that way. So those are some of the approaches that I would use to just check general saddle fit. And then with that, then I would put the pads on um, and see what they look like. And again, I think the problem sometimes with saddle fitting um, and for horses with back pain, some owners may say, well, if I put two pads on there, then that's going to give more cushion. Um, but again, the analogy would be is if I put two socks in a poor fitting pair of shoes, then two socks may not be the best thing to help me out with those um, that and so consequently you need to kind of be careful with adding extra pads for saddles that may not be fitting appropriately. Yeah, because those extra pads can just make the saddle even tighter if the saddle's too tight, right? They can, yeah. Sometimes it helps, but sometimes it can also harm because um, as you know, the horses change their body weight during the year and sometimes in the springtime, you know, they're a little bit chunkier and at the end, you know, after being worked and things like that, they start thinning out. And you may need to add some shims or half pads or something as they go through that. But it's a process that, you know, once a month you come back and just check and make sure your horse is doing okay um, with the saddle fit because you're not causing problems there. Our next question is from Diane in Minnesota. And she wants to know if a back issue can cause a horse to stumble. Um, well, that's an interesting thing. As far as back problems, um, we do know that there is some relationship between back and limbs. Um, and so from the research, it shows that um, horses that have back problems, about 25% of those horses will also have some sort of limb problems. Um, but then the flip side of that is that horses that have limb lameness, like hock arthritis, um, about 75% of those horses will have back problems. So Lameness and back problems are pretty well linked, um, but when we talk about horses that stumble, most of the time we see that more in the front limbs, and what we think more of that is probably related to some neck issues, um, because the nerves that go to the front limbs come from the area of the base of the neck or the lower neck there, and we have seen several horses that do have neck pain or neck stiffness that do have forelimb lameness that we're able to block out um, with local anesthetic around the neck joints and resolve some of that. So if I had a horse that was stumbling in the front end, I would be looking a little bit more toward their neck rather than their back per se. And I, when I hear horse stumbling, it makes me think of mm -hmm. navicular, maybe because I have one of those um, uh, navicular horses. And mm -hmm. my experience with that is then those horses have seem to have muscle pain in their back from compensating and, and taking weight Absolutely. off the front end. Is that? Is, yeah. Is that uh, yeah. And I think that that's one of the issues or things that we sometimes forget about is that um, as veterinarians, sometimes we focus on those navicular x-rays and say, aha, this is the problem or this is the issue. But you don't look and look at the whole horse and say, well, how is that horse compensating. And so from a physical therapy perspective, um, you may be a little less interested in the foot, but you might be pretty interested in up over the shoulders and the neck area to see 
you know, can that horse carry himself okay or compensate well for that? Because some of those horses do get pretty darn sore up over their withers um, and in their lower neck area too. And if they can't compensate well for that, then that's going to just continue to cause issues with laminitis or navicular disease or arthritis in their in their lower limbs. And so I think it's important that we step back and treat the limbs, but also look at the back back and the pelvis too, as far as those horses that have some of those chronic, you know, degenerative diseases like navicular disease or hawk arthritis or something like that. We have a question from our live audience. Isabel would okay. like to yeah, so Isabel would like to know once back pain has been diagnosed, which has been proven to be more effective, chiropractic work or massage? Well, um, we've done some work um, comparing massage and chiropractic in a group of horses when we were in New York. Um, and in that study, um, the first response or the earliest response was from the massage. The massage um, actually made the horses um, about 20% better as far as measuring their pain. And um, early on, the first uh, day or three days, chiropractic actually made them a little bit worse, sore. Um, but the end of a week, the chiropractic was actually about 27% better and the massage was about 20% better. So um, it depends on what phase you're looking at. Um, but then like all research, the question I have is, well, what if you combine them and do both massage and chiropractic? Are you going to get a much better improvement as far as back pain? So we don't have research on that comparing that. Um, we did a recent study looking at laser therapy and chiropractic together, um, and there seemed to be beneficial responses um, combining those two. So um, I have people always ask about the massage. Should I have my horse massage first before the chiropractic or should I have the chiropractic done before the massage? And I think it just depends on the horse and the issue that goes on with that. Some of those horses need massage first to get the muscles relaxed or loosened up a little bit and then you have better chiropractic treatments or sometimes the chiropractic takes out some of the stiffness and then the massage therapist has less work to do. So I think they both work together very well. So once you start that massage and or chiropractic um, mm -hmm. treatment for that horse, how long will you need to do that for that horse? Is that something that the horse might need as routine maintenance throughout their riding career in their life? Or or can it be used to treat acute issues that they're having? Yeah, well, I think it can be addressed both ways. Um, I personally like to get a massage, you know, periodically. Um, and so I think the horses, as far as kind of a relaxation or a maintenance type thing, I think that's very useful. But I think most of the time when we think about going to get a massage is when our back is really hurting or our neck is hurting or something that way. And so we kind of use it as an emergency care. Um, and the massage is effective in both of those areas there. It just depends on what the underlying disease process is with that. Um, you know, if there's significant arthritis or um, other issues or muscle disease itself, and those are something you probably need to address or kind of work along with um, the massage therapy too, where you might need some um, muscle relaxants plus that, or maybe some stretching plus the massage. Um, so I think it's important to kind of step back and say, well, what what's causing the problem if you have an acute muscle spasm or acute muscle injury like that? And you mentioned laser therapy. How effective uh -huh. are yeah? How effective are light and uh, therapies such as laser for back pain? Well, um, our study showed that it was effective for acute back pain. We um, did this study with um, acute back pain in Western performance horses, and so the laser therapy um, did help out with that, both with pain and also function. Function meaning like flexibility and spinal reflexes being able to move their back that way, um, and also visual analog scales, meaning like we told the owner from a scale from zero to 10, how sore is your horse's back today? And then we had one of our sports medicine residents also do that, um, scored that blindly, and um, it seemed like the laser therapy over a period of um, three or four treatments um, was able to do that. The biggest challenge with laser is just being able to get through the hair and the skin. Um, that's the challenge with all the therapies is um, are we really getting the depth of penetration? You know, obviously we aren't getting down to the 
four or six inches down to the vertebrae, but maybe we're treating the first um, part of the skin or the fascia or the superficial layer of the muscle, and maybe that's what's having our pain control. For me, the um, my first experience with laser therapy was I was working on horses from a chiropractic perspective, and the horses wouldn't let me touch them. And so if I can't touch them, then I can't do chiropractic on them very much. So we began doing laser therapy for five or 10 minutes beforehand. And that really got the horses to relax to allow me to be able to touch them and then be able to do chiropractic. So for me, combining both of those was very important on some of these horses with sore backs. Was there a specific type of laser that you were using um, in that research? Yeah, well, the... That's another very confusing part that there's lots of different laser types out there and laser machines and every um, company will tell you that theirs is better and best than anybody else's. Um, I think the biggest challenge we have, as I said, is just the penetration of the light through the skin, especially dark skinned horses. Um, And then the second concern or issue that we have is just the heat. And so some people will say, well, class fours, lasers versus class three lasers um, are better because they're more powerful. But most of the time, the class four lasers or higher, even more powerful lasers um, are cause a lot of heat and can cause some skin damage with that. So um, the ones that we have used are always class three. So what we consider kind of more cold lasers, you can just hold it on your hand and it doesn't heat up that way. And I just feel like it's a much safer modality and and has been very effective in my hands. Uh, Julia in Michigan says that she has a horse that doesn't like to canter. Is that a possible symptom Mm -hmm. of a neck or back pain? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as far as how the horse's backs move there, um, if you have a horse that um, is not bending to the side like um, a barrel racing horse or pole bending and they don't want to bend side to side, most of that problem is occurring right underneath the area of the saddle. That's the part of the horse's back that moves side to side is in that middle thoracic region. When we have horses that um, don't canter, cross canter, um, refusing jumps, lack of impulsion, then what we look for is mostly looking at their lumbosacral junction um, or the junction between their low back and their pelvis. And that's the biggest area um, when I hear about horses that don't canter then that's the biggest area that I would look at is their lumbosacral area. And um, sometimes sacroiliac um, disease can cause some issues of that. So I would be looking more in that region um, for those type of horses. So on a horse like that, would that horse mm-hmm. not canter with a rider and maybe canter on the lunge line? Or would that horse not want to canter even with someone not on their back? Right. Well, it depends on what the severity of that injury is. Some of these horses um, on the lunge line, um, they'll cross canter. Um, They won't be able to canter. They have four downward transitions from trot to canter um, or canter to trot, um, some of those. And so what we consider those is kind of some of those horses that are ununited or um, disconnected. The front end of the horse looks completely separate from the back end of the horse. And that's that junction, or what I consider kind of more of the transmission of the horse, is all the power from the hind limbs has to go up through that sacroiliac joint, lumbosacral area to propel the rest of the horse up over a jump or um, down the racetrack or whatever. And that lumbosacral is really a critical area for those horses. Um, and so anytime I hear about a horse that's not cantering either on under saddle or on the lunge, you know, they canter one fine to the left, but not to the right, then that would be an issue that I would want to look at. Okay. Uh, Julia, oh, wait, I already asked Julia's question. Jeff in California wants to know if being cold back is a pain issue or just the horse having an attitude. He says, one day my horse is good and other days he's extremely reactive. Yeah, that can be a challenge sometimes. Um, I think the definition of cold back is um, confusing or it means different things to different people. Um, Most of the time when I've heard the term cold back, it means that um, the horse is pretty resistant or kind of stiff when you first get on. 
um, but then after being ridden for a little bit, it kind of warms out of that and the horse becomes more comfortable. Um, so that would be kind of one um, aspect of being cold back. Other horses is that they're fine um, on the lunge or in hand, but as soon as you get on the back, then that's when um, causes some of the reactivity or the bucking or fidgeting under saddle or some of those things. So um, as far as to say if that's a behavior um, or attitude issue, um, sometimes that can be a behavior because chronic pain, um, if anybody's had chronic pain um, and that flares up, it can really affect your attitude. You kind of get grumpy and pin your ears a little bit. And so I think that those things do happen over time. Um, the challenge is, is that when that pain does go away, some horses hold on to that. Um, and so every time, you know, you bring up that saddle that didn't fit in the past, and now you have a, a saddle that does fit or a custom fit saddle, and that horse still expects that saddle to not um, cause them comfort in their back, then they're going to still pin their ears um, because that's what they've learned or expected. And so sometimes it takes a while to um, decondition them or teach them that no your back really doesn't hurt anymore um, or the saddle isn't causing the pain before so um, it can be a challenge to kind of separate out you know is my horse really having pain today or is this kind of a behavioral issue and again you kind of need to go back to your physical exam and saying is the muscle soreness here um, is he having a pain response when I touch him over his vertebrae or um, do my carrot stretches? How is his flexibility changed? And with that, you can kind of um, judge their attitude. I also just step back and just watch the horses when they're getting tacked up and just watch their behavior with that. And sometimes that helps me identify those issues. So I, oftentimes it seems like there's an overlap between uh, behaviors related to back pain or neck pain and behaviors mm -hmm. related to uh, gastric ulcers. How can you mm -hmm. tell? How can you tell the difference? Because the the horse with gastric ulcers might be cinchy, might look at the saddle like right. he hates it. Um, right. Yeah. And and that's a challenge too. You know, and some people will say, well, if I can um, put pressure down around the girth, or uh, some people would put pressure down along their ribs in that area, um, and see if the horse responds to that. Um, to me, it's a challenging area. Um, with that, and most of the time we have to um, get more diagnostics to, to scope those horses with endoscopy to see if they do have an ulcer or to treat them with GastroGuard or what other types of medications to help out with that. But sometimes issues on the inside can have an effect on the outside, um, and stomach ulcers can be one of those things that can um, mimic horses that have poor fitting saddles or performance issues or bad behavior and it's well yeah my stomach hurts all the time and so I don't like to be ridden and so those can sometimes overlap and, and be a challenge there but um, oftentimes once you start addressing or treating the gastric ulcers then oftentimes those other back problems or performance issues fade away quite quite rapidly. We've had several people in the live audience asking about dressage training specifically for horses, can it have a positive or a negative effect on a horse's neck and back and their comfort and overall health? Wow, you're um, really asking some difficult it's questions a, here. a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Putting me on the spot with the dressage riders here. All right. I, I um, am a dressage rider, but I've got your back, so no pun okay. intended. <laughs> yeah, thank you much. I appreciate that. Um, no, I deal with dressage all the time and and that's the the horses that i'm most familiar with as far as doing that and as everyone is aware it depends on your skill it depends on the horse's skill um, and with dressage what you're trying to do is to um, extenuate natural movement patterns or neck positions or collected movements um, and some horses and some trainers or riders can accomplish those very readily and other trainers or riders have more problems with that, some because of their skill or some of that because of the horse's training. And so I think in general, dressage is a wonderful thing that all disciplines should take on. And that's kind of part of what I try to um, shed 
light on, I guess is um, a way to put it, is that all disciplines should kind of cross train. Um, your reining horses should do some dressage. Um, jumping horses, you know, three-day venting, you're going to be doing some dressage. But I think dressage is a really good foundation to build a lot of other things on. I think where we get into problems, though, is when we maybe don't have the riders that want to put in the time or the horses that maybe aren't skilled or maybe have some underlying injuries or pathology, you know, neck problems, back problems, and we're not paying attention to that and we try to push them or take shortcuts. And from there, then then we do get into some problems. So, um, but in general, no, I think dressage in general is a wonderful thing and um, all horses, um, despite discipline, should be doing some type of dressage type movements because I think those are very useful, yeah. Yeah, we've had some follow-up on that about hyperflexion specifically yeah. on the dressage horses. Yeah. yeah, well, I figured that's kind of maybe where some of that was going. So um, with some of the hyperflexion, and we aren't only seeing that in the dressage, we're also seeing that in no. the rainers um, and other issues too. And so, again, I think that for most people, um, it's probably a shortcut in the training. Um, rather than trying to get that horse collected um, other ways, um, the horses definitely respond to that hyperflexion type of movement. It really puts them in more of a collected frame, but that's biomechanically how they have to do that. And some horses will be able to compensate and tolerate that type of training very readily, and, and you get the response that you like. Other horses, um, if you have low-grade arthritis in your neck, or you don't have the um, core stability um, throughout the rest of your back, you're going to cause some problems with your horse and have some issues with that. So um, I think those are all concerns that we have. Um, some of our research now that we're looking at with horses with neck problems, um, we are seeing lots of arthritis type changes in their lower neck and the beginning of their thoracic vertebrae, kind of the base of the neck, where you ask the horse to elevate themselves. Um, we're seeing lots of issues related with extreme extension in the lower neck. So it's not so much the flexion in the upper neck, we're seeing oftentimes a C2, C3 area, but it's really the extreme extension in their lower neck around C7, T1, T2 um, that's causing some issues there. So I think it can hurt horses in a couple different areas of the back, even though, you know, when you see the images, it's like, whoa, that really is not right on his upper neck it also is causing some problems in his lower neck too that that's really interesting my guess is that the audience will be surprised to hear that um that that is a an interesting um insight i am thinking as a dressage rider um about our sitting trot you know we take so much pride mm -hmm. uh, in being out you know from second level on we're sitting the trot when we're showing um mm -hmm. and i know for myself like i i I ride big moving horses and I think I have a pretty mm -hmm. decent seat, um, but it kills my SI joints. And when I started riding the younger horses and posting the trot, my SI <laughs> started feeling better. Um, yeah. Are horses suffering from us sitting on them? Well, um, uh, again, you're um, asking some pretty challenging questions here. <laughs> I know. Um, I told you I wasn't going to throw I... you curveballs, but I'm really interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess um, the question would be is, um, what is the weight of the rider relative to the horse? Um, you know, obviously with some of these Western pleasures, we got some pretty big guys on some pretty small horses. And so I get concerned about that, but like anything, it just depends on how long you're in the saddle. So if I'm, you know, 250, 300 pounds on a 800 pound horse, if I'm only on there for two or three minutes, probably not causing a problem. If I'm on there for a two or three day pack trip, yeah, that's gonna cause me lots of problems. So I think in general, I think the horses are very, very tolerant of what we do as far as putting weight on their back there, but it obviously depends on the quality of the rider, how they do that, um, and how they're being ridden. And um, I think a lot of dressage riders, and my wife included, she's very high level dressage rider in her past life, but she had back pain and couldn't ride anymore. And so I think that those are things we need to think about. And for us, if we do have back pain, how is that being transferred back to the horse? 
and maybe giving our horse some back pain too because you're not as supple or um, light in the seat or whatever that way. Um, and so I think that that interaction between the rider and the horse is, is critically important too. Well, I think my next question, I don't know if it's going to be any easier on you, but uh, Jill, in Ohio, okay. <laughs> Jill in Ohio has a horse with arthritis in his neck, and she wants to know if, mm-hmm. uh, if stem cell therapy could help. Yeah. Well, um, there is limited research right now as far as using stem cells within the joint. Um, so that would be my presumption is if you have arthritis, um, if you would be injecting the stem cells into the joints themselves. There is some work in people, um, but there is some anti-inflammatory components or things that might help out with that. Um, but I think it's early days yet as far as the research with that. Um, other therapies that I would probably reach to first before the stem cells is I would probably reach for IRAP. IRAP is a interleukin receptor antagonist protein, which helps reduce inflammation. And um, we do have some horses that respond pretty well. And, you know, in other joints, stifles and tetlocks and things like that. But that would probably be one of the therapies that I would reach for kind of in that biological therapy bucket um, would be IRAP. Another thing in that bucket would be, along with stem cells, would be PRP. Um, PRP um, does have some promise as far as um, helping out with some arthritis too. So um, of those three, I would probably reach for IRAP first or um, I would probably look at corticosteroids as far as injecting there because we know corticosteroids um, help reduce pain in other joints. And um, we obviously are doing ultrasound guided injections um, for treating arthritis in horses' necks and um, have pretty good um, support for that use in the horses. Yeah. So we had a question from David in Pennsylvania on uh, injections, and he wanted to know if they should always be ultrasound guided when they're in the neck and back. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that in general, my answer would be yes, in general. Um, For the necks, absolutely, because um, the, again, the the challenge with the ultrasound guided um, injections is that those joints are pretty deep. And for us to go in there kind of blindly without really being able to see where that needle is going is sometimes pretty risky. And so, I don't think you're going to find too many people that are going to be injecting with long needles into the neck area without ultrasound guidance to really know where that joint is. Because um, if you don't go in the right place, it's pretty easy that you might, you know, go in some place where you're not supposed to around the spinal cord or something that way. Um, that being said, um, we also do lots of injections around the sacroiliac joint. And um, one of the techniques that um, I was helped, um, one of our residents, again, at Cornell, um, developed was um, a blind technique or a technique where we could go in and inject the sacroiliac joint without ultrasound guidance, um, as long as you have really good bony landmarks um, to do that. Um, But there are two other different approaches, more of a cranial approach or approach along the front of the pelvis or caudal approach along the back edge of the pelvis. Um, and those are usually ultrasound guided because you need to know where that needle goes. And obviously there's pretty important nerves um, and arteries in that area. Sciatic nerve would be one of those that you would not want to put a needle close to. So I would say in general, yes, you want to use ultrasound guidance for any time you're injecting into the neck or the back of horses. We had a question from Janet who sent her question in via email, and she wanted to know if an unbalanced hoof trim could cause back pain in horses. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, again, back to the comment before, as far as uh, about 75% of horses that have limb pain um, are also going to have some sort of back problems. And so I think with that, then anytime that they move their hoof differently um, or asymmetrically, then that's going to require those horses to use their muscles um, up around their withers or up in their pelvic region, use those differently. And those horses are going to need to compensate for that. If there's pain because of that um, unbalanced hoof um, or changes in the way the horse carries their limb, then that's going to change their muscles up above. Um, and do that. So I would, you know, anytime, I guess a prime example would be for people that um, have flat feet, 
um, yeah, you can get along just fine, but if you have your orthotics in there, that's gonna help you sometimes reduce your back pain or your sacroiliac pain. And so I think it's really important to have good foot balance or, or um, hoof balance that way to help prevent problems in your upper body, absolutely. Uh, Valerie in British Columbia, Canada wants to know about ovary pain and back pain. You know, I already mentioned uh -huh. the possibility of like gastric ulcers causing issues, but what about reproductive right. issues in mares and back pain? Yeah, I think that that's a common um, thing that we're looking at, especially if we have horses that are sore over that kind of that loin area. Um, if some of these mares here get pretty sensitive when they go through their heat cycles or estrous cycles there. Um, and so that we are aware of that. Um, I guess that I am concerned about is that in those mares that um, aren't responding to my therapy. And so in general, when I treat horses with acupuncture, physical therapy, chiropractic, whatever, I would like to see a significant improvement in that pain or that stiffness within one or two treatments. And if I'm coming back uh, in a you know month or a couple of weeks and that horse is still very painful in that or not responding to my therapy, then I'm going to step back and ask um, the referring veterinarian or somebody, you know, the reproductive specialist to maybe check out the ovaries on that horse to make sure that I'm not missing because Again, the horse is not responding how I would typically like to see them respond. And the primary reasons why that happens is either my diagnosis is wrong, um, I'm treating the wrong thing here, or I'm using the wrong therapy. Um, they should be getting some other therapy besides the chiropractic or whatever I'm doing. And so I think always going back and having a good diagnosis is critical for us to apply the right therapy. And if those horses aren't responding how we would like to see them respond, um, in this case, if they have ovarian cysts or some other issue there, then yeah, certainly we need to be able to cover that and take care of that. Um, because then me coming back and treating the chiropractic problem is help. I guess the flip side of that is that um, from an acupuncture perspective, um, we do see horses or there's literature out there, research, um, that are dealing with some horses that are having problems, reproductive problems, um, that with the acupuncture are able to resolve some of that. Um, that was one of my early um, introductions to acupuncture was um, from some of the bulls, breeding bulls, um, that they couldn't mount the dummies and, and collect semen anymore because of their back pain. And from the acupuncture perspective, we were able to help those um, breeding bulls or breeding stallions um, be able to come back and do their job. And for the mayor's side, um, some of these mayors do have urine pooling or issues um, with being able to come back and being bred. And acupuncture seems to be one of those things that helps some of those horses out with that. We have a question from our live audience uh, about pregnant mm -hmm. mares. Do they suffer mm -hmm. from back pain when they're pregnant? And if so, what can be done to make them more comfortable? Yeah, well, I guess I can't answer that from a people perspective, but I see pregnant women running around and they don't look very comfortable to me as far as their backs. Um, from a chiropractic perspective, um, human chiropractic perspective, working on pregnant women, there's obvious issues um, with low back support and things there. So bringing that back over into the horses, um, some of these horses do look pretty uncomfortable. I think the biggest thing that we see, especially for some of these brood mares, is just their lack of core stability or abdominal tone. Um, after a period of time, these horses do become more sway back because they have lost the abdominal tone. They aren't given a chance to be able to come back and um, do those belly crunches or um, work on that stability a little bit and that that does have effect with that. As far as pregnancy causing back pain in general in horses, um, I don't see that so much. I think because we oftentimes have those horses um, oftentimes they're out of work, you know, especially in their later stages of pregnancy there. Um, and we're kind of um, fussing over them a little bit more and paying more attention to them. So I don't think as far as pregnancy in general causing back pain in horses, but I think that the pregnancy in general supporting them with their core stability and then afterwards trying to help them work on building up their strength there, making sure that they have good flexibility in their back. 
um, I think those are all important issues from a rehab perspective. Yeah. Sally is in our live audience, and she says that she's heard uh -huh. people talk about kissing spine, um, and she yeah. would like you to explain what that is and why it happens. Okay. Well, kissing spines aren't vertebrae that are infatuated with each other. Um, they're actually two bones that are rubbing on each other, and so they are kind of kissing or what we call impinged, um, where they're actually rubbing on each other there. Um, and most of the time where we see those vertebrae that are doing that is in the area underneath the saddle. And that's the spinous process or the um, long type of, or long portion of the bone that sticks up from the vertebrae themselves. Um, and we are seeing a lot of horses that are having problems with impinged spinous processes. Um, the challenge is with that though, is that we don't always know the clinical significance. We can take x-rays of those horses and we can see those kissing spines or those impinged vertebrae where they're rubbing on each other and don't have that space between there. Um, but we can see that also in about 50% of normal horses that don't have signs of back pain. So that's sometimes the challenge is that when we see that on an x-ray, um, we say, we don't really know if we're treating the x-ray or if we're treating the horse. And so um, I'd like to recommend that we do more local anesthetic or blocking of those areas, just like we would do in the distal limb to block out um, pain or nerve pain or joint pain to really localize, you know, is it in the fetlock or is it a sensory ligament? If we can do that same type of thing up in the back and put a little local anesthetic between those vertebrae that we see on the x-ray, and see if that resolves the issue. Then that really tells us that that's clinically relevant in that horse, and then we can apply therapies to help treat that. Um, but oftentimes if we don't do that, then we don't really know if that really is the source of the problem because some of those horses can also have arthritis in their back, and that might cause similar signs with that. And so um, I would probably treat um, impinged spinous processes may be a little bit differently than arthritis in their back. And so, again, the diagnosis is important for that. Okay. Hillary in New Jersey wants to know if shockwave is effective for treating neck pain in horses and also back pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our clinicians here use shockwave routinely for horses with neck problems and back problems. Um, for the neck issues, um, related to arthritis in the neck, um, seems like some of our horses respond to that pretty well. Um, and so I guess from my approach, you know, stepping back and looking at things that we would do kind of from a low level, working our way up to more aggressive type of therapies, um, the lowest level would be kind of more carrot stretches for the neck pain. If that's not helping, then maybe do some massage. Um, then we would probably go with some chiropractic care, some acupuncture care. If those aren't helping our horse then, then I would probably bring in shockwave at that time. And um, if those horses aren't responding to shockwave, then I would probably do maybe some of the corticosteroid injections into the joints to do that. So that's kind of my progression of low, moderate, mild, high, um, kind of or more aggressive type of therapies for that. As far as up over the back, yeah, we do use shockwave for that, but I guess I have questions about how exactly that works. Most of the time we use shockwave because the um, shockwave itself um, bounces off the bone and has a reaction of the bone. So oftentimes we use it for like suspensory ligaments, um, desmitis or injuries there, and very effective for that um, in most horses. But up over the back, um, again, because the muscles are so deep, I don't I understand if we really treat like arthritis in the horse's back or are we kind of really just kind of treating maybe some of the fascia or the muscle up there but some of these horses with acute back pain really do respond well to the shock wave um, just from a research perspective I just don't quite understand how that works all the time but sometimes it's very effective in some of those horses yeah Nancy in Ohio wants to know what suggestions you have for an elderly horse whose back has begun to sway and saddle fit is becoming um, difficult. Yeah, that's a problem with some of our older geriatric horses here. Um, I think that 
in general, their ability to heal or to um, strengthen um, is reduced. You know, just like in elderly people, um, doesn't mean that we can't still do our exercises or stretching or belly crunches, but um, makes it harder for us to do. And our tissues don't bounce back like they did when we were younger. So for some of our older horses, geriatric horses, um, I think we need to pay more attention and design special programs for them. Um, the biggest thing that I see in some of our older horses, along with kind of the sway back issue there, is just generalized stiffness. And so for a lot of these older horses, because maybe they've had a very active athletic career before that and have accumulated some arthritis or some muscle soreness or um, tendon injuries along the way, and that's why they were retired or turned out, um, that they do have that baggage. And just because they're turned out now doesn't mean that they're um, not pain-free or not stiff. And so I think we really need to do pay more attention to some of our geriatric patients and help them with some of the flexibility, help them with some of the core stability as far as with their sway back to really get them to use their abdominal muscles more, do some carrot stretches to keep up their flexibility there. Um, as far as the saddle fit issues, um, yeah, when they become pretty sway back like that, it is difficult because most of our saddles are made for fitting a horse that has a flat back and not one that's curved like that. So um, there are other trees that might be more flexible that would maybe help with some of these, um, depending again on how much you're riding those horses. Um, there are other options as far as treeless saddles and things along those lines too. Not something I recommend in general um, because it focuses the seat pressure of your seat bones on the horse's back. but um, those might be some options to discuss about some of those elderly horses with sway backs that you're having problems with saddles. We have a question from April in Washington, and she wants to know if it's most beneficial to start a horse uh, under saddle uh, after a certain age. Yeah. Um, we don't have good evidence as far as when exactly that happens. We know that um, different horse breeds mature differently. Um, some, some of our warm bloods are definitely going to mature older, you know, at an older age than um, maybe some of our quarter horses or Arabian. Um, and so I think it depends a little bit on horse breed. I think it probably also depends a little bit on discipline to do that. Um, if you're just talking about riding, as far as just getting some foundational work, um, just basic um, carryability, um, flexibility, responding to aids, things like that without really um, putting those horses to a lot of strenuous activity, then I think that you can probably do that at a younger age. But again, it probably depends somewhat on the skill of the rider, um, the weight of the rider relative to the weight of the younger horse, um, those type of things too. So there's probably a couple different um, factors to consider there. But as far as beneficial to start riding, um, most of the time horses skeletally don't mature all the way until they're about five years of age. But obviously we know that there's horses that are being ridden younger than that, competing, you know, thoroughbred race horses, um, some of our quarter horses being trained and ridden, you know, two, three years of age. Um, but again, I think the amount of time that you're in the saddle and the amount of training that goes into those horses is important there. But in general, um, I would prefer to wait a little bit longer for some of those horses to develop musculoskeletally, um, sometimes maturity-wise too, um, but it's always good to start with some foundational work and ground manners and things like that are always important. Uh, we've had several questions coming in from our live audience about additional mm -hmm. therapies uh, for back pain, mm -hmm. ranging from uh, uh, PEMF to BeamerVet. What's your experience with some of these other therapies and have you seen any research that's demonstrating benefits for pain relief and improved performance for any therapies yeah. that we have so far? Yeah, well, um, I think that's one of the challenging things is out there. We have um, lots of companies that are, for better use of the word, peddling um, some of these therapies and um, as you know, in the horse world, it seems like there's always a flavor of the month that's coming out. 
um, you know, the favorite horse blanket or the new pad or the new wraps or the new magnetic blanket or whatever that's coming out. Um, and sometimes it's hard to kind of separate some of the hype away from some of the true physiologic effects or um, research, you know, things that we can measure with that. Um, Fortunately, there is much more research now in the last five years on looking at some of these therapies for horses with back problems. Um, the pulsed electromagnetic therapy or the PEM, PEMF um, therapy, there has been more recent research on that to see if that did make a difference um, with the horses with back pain or not. Um, and in that study, it didn't show that there was much difference with that. Um, but again, it kind of depends on the type of the unit, um, how it's applied. And so that's the challenge most of the time because um, we get approached um, here at Colorado quite often with different um, manufacturers. They say, here's my new whiz-bang type of um, treatment. Can you test it for me? And it's like, well, what does it do? And they're like, oh, well, it treats horses with back problems. It's like, okay, well, then how do you know how to apply it? Because oftentimes there's different knobs that say, well, it's, you know, it turns up the, in, the um, intensity or turns down the intensity, or sometimes it changes the wavelength between those, or for laser, it's how much power. And so oftentimes there's so many variables, different knobs that you can turn, and the combination of that that it's really difficult to really identify what the best dosage of that machine is for that horse or what specific disease process. Because some therapies might be very good for muscle pain, and other therapies might be very good for arthritis. But we um, sometimes challenge to figure out which ones work best for which ones. Um, for our live audience, uh, Stephanie, our editor-in-chief, and Jennifer, our web producer, have uh, added a couple resources for people who are listening to the event from their computer. Uh, one is our pocket guide that we produced uh, that's available in the horse's store. Um, it's for dynamic mobility exercises, carrot stretches for horses. And then we have a free PDF um, called top five stretches for healthy horses and the URL is available for that too. So if, if you're listening live and are interested in those um, uh, exercises, you can go ahead and click on, on those URLs and get more information on the horse.com. Um, I have a question from Marilyn who sent her question in via email and she wanted to know if ice after working can help with back pain. And I guess I would add to that, does heat help as well? Yeah, um, well, I think um, most of the time when we talk about ice therapy in horses, we oftentimes um, think about cold hosing legs um, or ice bathing leg, you know, for like a bowed tendon or laminitis. You know, we put horses in a bucket of ice, and I think that um, we have pretty good evidence that that does help in the distal limb um, where we don't have a lot of muscle. I think the problem, and we're doing some of that research now looking at hot and cold therapies, um, that up over the back when you have such big muscle that oftentimes that muscle or the blood flow through that muscle absorbs the heat or absorbs the cold and it really doesn't penetrate very well, kind of like the laser therapy. It doesn't do much. I think the only real good application of ice or cold water is if we have horses that are being um, in heat um, type of situation. So if they're having heat exhaustion or you're exercising them in, um, you know, hot weather, humid weather, then, you know, putting them in sun of sands with water and um, ice baths has been very effective for cooling them down. But as far as for the ice or for the back pain themselves, the only time that we use ice is if we have an acute injury where there's heat coming off of the horse or there's swelling, then we would apply ice to that. Um, the challenge is oftentimes how to keep that on the horse. And so sometimes we'll use saddle pads or um, weights to help hold that ice pack on the horse's back that way. Um, we had a question from Rosemary who sent her question in via email, and she wanted to know your opinion on acupuncture treatment for back pain related to mm -hmm. muscle spasms. So you've mentioned acupuncture a couple times during mm -hmm. our discussion, but what are the benefits of acupuncture and, and how do you use that in your treatment of horses? Yeah, well, as far as the different therapies that um, have evidence for um, research out there, 
Um, my biased opinion is that chiropractic and acupuncture are the only two therapies that have the best research that's out there for horses with back pain. Um, from an acupuncture perspective, we have quite a few different studies um, that show that acupuncture, um, most of the time electroacupuncture, so that you're hooking up the, the needles to electricity, so you're kind of forming a, a form of a stronger stimulation for that. But those horses um, respond very well to that, and I use that routinely. And most of my horses that have um, more muscle spasms or more pain, because to me, the chiropractic is better for stiffness, and the pain or the muscle spasms is much better for the acupuncture. And so I'll combine those two for that. So um, I think it's very effective. Um, the challenge is some horses don't like needles. And then so you have to come up with other things. And so laser therapy um, or massage might be other things. Or maybe, you know, like we talked about, hot or cold packs might be something else to work for some of those horses. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for tonight. I want to thank Dr. Kevin Hausler for joining us and answering all these questions. It's been a really great conversation, Dr. Hausler. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. I appreciate that. And hopefully we shed some, shed some light on a few of these challenging topics related to neck and back problems. Yeah. Um, for everyone who's listening, I hope you can join us next month. We're going to be talking about equine nutrition. Until then, from all of us at The Horse, have a great night.